guest today has worked a hundred hour weeks at Lehman Brothers, a job that he hated. He got hired by legendary entrepreneurs, Mark Andresian and Ben Horowitz as one of the first employees of their new startup, LoudCloud. He started his own company after acquiring a San Francisco startup and grew it into a successful 3,000 person publicly traded business. He now heads Austin based firm Next Coast Ventures. And his name is Mike Smirklow. And this is another episode of Off the Record. Mike, great to have you on our show. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, first question I have for you, Mike, is um, you're actually one of our first uh, guests on the show who happened to be an early employer at LoudCloud, which, you know, many people at that time probably didn't know uh, Ben Horowitz and Mark Andresian, creating one of the most uh, renowned VC firms, um, you know, back in those days. What is like the one story maybe you could start us off with to share from that time that you remember or something that keeps coming back to you even today that you haven't shared publicly before? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, um, well, one, first of all, Ben does a great job of memorializing the experience in the book, The Hard Thing About the Hard Thing, one of my favorite books about entrepreneurship. And I can attest that not only is a great writer, but it's uh, factually correct. It's a great question. I think the one story I do remember, um, it was early on and I was had the luxury slash stress of working directly with Mark and Ben on a lot of things. And I was traveling one time with Mark and he was recruiting a guy named Michael Ovitz to the board. And Michael Ovitz, for those who don't know him, um, famous Hollywood, basically a super agent, uh, created CAA, and there's a great biography about him as well. And I said, Mark, I don't understand why Michael Ovitz, like he's a Hollywood guy who does, who, you know, connects Tom Cruise to his next movie. Why would we want him on our board? And Mark was just, Mark's a polymath. He's the smartest guy I've ever met and basically said in short order, I want every advantage I can get. Fair or unfair. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, legal and ethical, never question. He's like, I want every advantage. Ovitz is going to teach us how to build a world-class firm. And he's a different view on the world than anybody else. And it was just like, wow, you are thinking about things at a level that I had never even fathomed. Um, so not that big of a story, but it was just like the mindset, I guess, of what it takes to build a company. Yeah. And how driven these guys were, and it was like, oh, blank. I'm I'm in the NFL or the the major soccer league, trying to use my European knowledge, which is limited on football. So yeah, interesting. No, that's really cool. And a lot of investors and VCs that I speak to, it always comes up that with a lot of the companies that they look at to invest in, they're always looking for that unfair competitive advantage. Is that something that you look for as well when you invest in companies? I think so, but I think it actually, I would say it like, yes, yes, comma. Um, we look for the entrepreneur who's thinking that way. I mean, our job is to help shape it. And it's really interesting. We talk to a thousand companies a year. We invest in two or three. So it's a bad part about my job is I say no all the time. But there's that crystal moment when you walk in and you just see the entrepreneur and she looks at you like, we call them glass eaters. Like she is going to do whatever it takes, again, legal and ethical boundaries but just has that view of I'm going to run through a wall to make this successful. And sometimes when you meet someone like that, you're like, I don't, I don't even know, care what the idea is. I just want to be in business with, with that person. And I think that tends to be usually a difference between success and failure. Uh, that's very true. That, that hustle grid is, I think, the main driver for entrepreneurs. And that's even what I look for with some of our startups that we partner up with. Um, I, know you're, I know you're a big proponent of this because we, we had a chance to talk about it before, but 
I want to talk about the mental aspect of entrepreneurship. Um, you know, there's that whole like hustling, killing it kind of mentality that I think everybody's always perplexed about or really like talking about that, you know, there's always another side to that whole story of like, what does that do? What kind of toll does that really take on me mentally? Um, it's not actually talked about that much. So let's, um, let's talk about that with, uh, with you today. Um, at all certain times in our physical peak as humans, for example, we quite often, we don't reach that mental peak until like our mid late forties or even like later. Do you feel this way too? Well, I'm, I'm just slightly past my late forties. So I completely agree with that comment. I think <laughs> I'm in peak performance. Um, no, I just, you know, I've written a book about this. So I'm, I'm passionate about this mental aspect. I think it's the topic that so often gets overlooked when people are starting out or on the entrepreneurial treadmill. And so I'm, I'm passionate about the topic. I do think there are certain things as you get older, you are just, you know, there is wisdom, there is experience. And, you know, part of my job now is trying to share that wisdom with some of the younger generation that, you know, when I was doing the entrepreneurship, it was just like, how hard can I work, mm -hmm. hustle, run hard, et cetera, et cetera. And almost did nothing to keep myself mentally and, and physically fit. I was pretty focused on the physical side, but not mentally. And it catches up with you. And so, yeah, I think it's a, it's a very complex topic that I'd, that I'd love to dive in with, but I think it is so often overlooked and yet often might be the number one determinant between success and failure in entrepreneurship. And so like, what are some, uh, what is some of that knowledge or the wisdom that you have that you bestow to those young entrepreneurs? Like what tactics, strategies do you advise them on that can help their mental game? Yeah, well, I, I think that, you know, there's a, in the book, uh, it goes through a formula, which I try and get very specific tactics. But I think the, the biggest thing is being aware of it, is recognizing that there is a mental health component to this that is really critical. And I like it, and I mean, it's a, a silly example, but let's say I came up to you and I said, hey, I want to go run a marathon, right? I'm, I've never run a marathon. I'm not a big runner, but I want to do that bucket list. You have a friend, I don't know, have you ever run a marathon? Uh, a small one, I think it was a 10K. <laughs> yeah, a pretty fit guy, but, but you, know, <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't say to you, you know, you wouldn't say, hey, here's a pair of shoes and good luck, and then go jump into the Boston Marathon and try and run 20. You wouldn't do that. You'd say, no, 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 like, here's your diet, here's your training, here's the six months it's going to take. You would give someone the preparation in order for them to be successful. I think in entrepreneurship, there's way too much of, I used to call it entrepreneur porn. I got to come up with a better term, but it's like, you know, here's the five things that Elon Musk does before breakfast. And you read it and you're like, ah, I don't, I don't have a cold bath. I don't have time to meditate. My kids are screaming, you know, my partner's screaming, you know, employee, you know, I got all the stuff to do with. And so I think there's this, a bunch of content that doesn't help. And so to your answer your question specifically, I think my job is both the author of the book and then trying my day job as venture capitalist is to point out things like meditation, taking, taking time to make sure you are peering for yourself, spending time outside of the job, which seems really weird because most people think, oh, you know, venture capitalists go work 100 hours a week. No, no, no. I get really nervous when I'm getting too many email, late night emails from my entrepreneurs because that means they're not in, they're not taking, not doing enough self-care. And therefore, they may they may have a great sprinter, but they're not going to make it through the journey that entrepreneurship is. Uh, it's very uh, 
want to touch on that. You talk about entrepreneurship, you know, sprint versus marathon. It totally is a marathon. And I know so many people who burnt out by thinking it's a sprint and hustling um, along the way to get there and then realizing that, hey, you know, this is not for me or I'm doing something wrong and I got to like restart. Are there any kind of like concepts, principles that you would advise like other than meditation, but like maybe more philosophical ones or like maybe how you should approach your, uh, your problems uh, in order for it to not eat you away, like mentally, right. To keep you up at night, to send out those like 2 AM morning emails. Yeah. Well, it's easier said because I'm not an, I mean, running a venture capital firm is nothing like starting a business. So um, I, I joke, I sometimes I miss the passion of entrepreneurship, but I don't miss the cold sweats at three in the morning. But, but that is part of the job. I'm sorry to tell anybody who's thinking about it. If you think you're going to not have the old blank moment at three in the morning, it's not going to happen. But um, in the book, I lay out a, a very specific formula. It's an acronym called SHAPE. Um, and we can go through it or I can just talk to it. But it's really about self-awareness. Make sure you're getting help. Showing up in an authentic manner. And then persistence and expectations. And at each end of each chapter, it gives monkey minders. These are called four or five, six very practical things that you can put into play. So without going through each one of those, it really is, it starts with self-awareness and then support, and then the rest of the acronym kind of unfolds. But all of that, I think, are just very specific ways that you can start to build and continue to have strong mental health. Talked about one of those points as being support. Um, I've been speaking to more and more people these days, and they're publicly starting to share about like, the support they get it could be like family support but oftentimes um a, a psychiatrists is something that comes up quite a bit and it got me thinking i mean i've never spoken to a psychiatrist i don't know what to expect right speaking to one but i found that they for them it's very therapeutic and i wanted to get your take on that um yeah i probably sh a lot of people that work for me would argue i should have seen <laughs> a psychiatrist um i was a bit mad uh back in the day maybe still am but listen i think the biggest thing is getting somebody who can help you and who can listen and i also think it's make sure they have contextual reference point and what i mean by that is it's great to call your mom and say i had a bad day your mom says oh it'll be fine sweetie uh, or your spouse or partner, but I think real help can come from, and maybe this is a therapist, that someone who's going to be objective, who's going to listen, and also has some contextual reference to what you're going through. And I think that ends up being more mentorship than perhaps a psychiatrist. Um, formal, informal, whether you get a professional coach, which I'm a big believer on and had one throughout my journey, or just finding a mentor who has relevant experience. And what I mean by that is, if you're starting a business, go try and find someone who started a business, you know, five to seven years ago. Don't find someone who is running a major corporation who can't really remember what it's like. And I think the more you can find that, um, that's the best, to me, the best way to get that kind of, okay, how should I address this or how should I think about it or, or just a sounding board. Is it also true that the people who um, have already exited a company five to seven years ago they might even have more time to give you for mentorship versus somebody who's running a, a large enterprise, for example. Yeah. I think it's a great call. I mean, I think mentorship, you should look at relevancy, meaning had they done the job before, um, 
how how long ago was it? And I think it's like you know some level of experience with it. To your point, I think recently, and then can they have the time to do it? Mm-hmm. The problem with this, and I say this all the time, the problem is you talk to me about entrepreneurship, and I, I stopped running my company six years ago. I got rose-colored glasses. I remember the big customer wins. I remember the all hands. I remember you know going public. I tend to forget you know losing a big customer, employee quitting. You, know, you tend to, you, you, I think history, <laughs> you can sometimes look back with rose colored glasses. And I, so I think with your mentor also being mindful that they don't, um, that they have re- realistic and remember some of the, the real down moments, not just the up moments. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I always remember the good things, but I think mentally our brain tries to erase all the bad things so that it doesn't bother us in a way. It's we like never get out of bed in the morning. If, it, if I think if our brains didn't work that way, <laughs> I would be laying in a cold sweat somewhere in a, in a basement. Yeah, uh, I think a, a parallel to me with kids, I'm sure you're in the same, but with three kids, you, you remember the hardship in like the first three to six months, sleepless nights, diapers, craziness, and all that kind of stuff. And like, oh, that's really difficult. But when you, you know, when you think about, oh, should we have another one? Like, you kind of don't remember yeah. the bad stuff you remember the good stuff right the positives uh, i think that's right. i think that's such a good concept to have this in business practice you got to focus on the positive things of everything that you do so very true um i wanted to ask because i know you wrote a book of, uh, about this and that you, you're you're really passionate about it you, you talk about it a lot but for you specifically mike what was your moment or that calling where you were able to kind of unlock that next level of mental strength through your growth in your career. If it was like a series of events, like what were they? Well, I think probably like most things in my life, it came from mistakes I made. Um, I made more mistakes than most. Um, I can remember multiple times where I was simply you know, in each one of the acronyms, I can remember where I wasn't doing what I recommended. Um, I'll give you a story about getting help. I was a couple of years into running this business. The business was doing well, but I couldn't, I was struggling to hire a head of sales. In fact, I had recently fired my fourth head of sales in four years. And yet the business was growing. And I remember just being besides myself because I couldn't figure this out. And I, I was treating it like a, like a, a Rubik's cube or something that I had to solve a puzzle to solve. And it was driving me batty. And I was going down to meet a longtime mentor, a guy named Bill Campbell, which is, uh, was a phenomenal human being. He's no longer with us. There's a book called trillion dollar coach. This guy had been coached to Steve jobs, the founders of Google. So a really amazing resource that I had access to. He had been on the board of loud Cup. But I went down and met him. He used to, he was a part owner in a, a small sports bar down in Palo Alto, California. And uh, you, you kind of got 30 minutes. You got a beer with Bill. Like he kind of, you kind of waited in line and you grabbed your beer. He sat down and he had this gruffy old voice. And they called him coach because he used to coach football, uh, American football at Columbia. So I sit down and first thing he says, like, smart low, you look like shit. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the, the point of view. But that's just how he talked. And as I'm, you know, slugging my beer back, he says, like, what is going on with you? And I said, I just feel, man, I cannot figure this out. I can't figure out how to hire a head of sales. And if I don't get this right, I'm going to get fired. And it was one of those crystal moments where he turned to me and he said, well, who's your coach? Who's helping you? 
So I don't have time for a coach. Like I just told you, like, you know, I fired my head of sales. I'm, I can't sleep at night. What do I do? And he turned to me in a very specific way. And he said, Steve Jobs has a coach. Tiger Woods has a coach. Why doesn't Mike Smirko have a coach? And it was one of many several moments where, A, I was lucky to have someone help me. But B, just went, oh, of course. And I got in my car and I drove home. And I remember thinking, okay, Mike, like, the I grew up in a blue collar town and it was always work harder and do more and keep after it. And it was like, ah, that's not the approach anymore. So it was one of those many values that you hit where you have someone else come in and kind of slap you upside the head and say, the way you're doing it's not the right way. And for me, that was the first time I started to really appreciate, heck, I've got a bunch of resources. Why don't I ask for help? And I've, I've got multiple examples of that, but that's a really good one for me that said, just said, the way you're doing it is not the right way. Maybe there's another way. And, and those are brilliant moments. No, very interesting. Uh, yeah, I think getting that help, as you said, not being ashamed of it or asking for it is, I think, is critical. And that's a tough step, I think, for entrepreneurs because they feel like they could do everything themselves. Um, oh. I'm curious, though, because I'm actually in a similar situation. I'm on the sales side. I've been trying to bring on somebody to support me on sales as a head of sales or you know, just even somebody to work with in sales. It's just me. What did you do? <laughs> How did you figure this out? Um, shameless plug, but on my, on my website, mikesmerklow.com, I've got a bunch of blog parts in this. I've got a four part blog post that if you're having trouble sleeping, you should read, but okay. it was about this learning. Um, and, and so what I ended up doing was one, I went to a mentor and explained my problem. And he gave me one of the best, weirdest piece of advice I've ever gotten. He said, it sounds like you don't know what you're looking for in a head of sales. So he said, rather than hire one, why don't you hire four? What? So I went to my board and I said, um, I'm going to try something really wacky. I'm going to go hire four different personas for a head of sales. And we were a big company this time. We weren't public yet, but it was a pretty bold move. And I said, I'm going to figure out which one works. And so I hired four leaders and I told them all, they're all going to report to me. And as luck would have it, one of them emerged as a amazing leader. And it was not the person, he was kind of the fourth person I was kind of taking a bet on. You know, the classic backslapper enterprise salesperson flamed out immediately. Two of the other ones went and actually took on different roles. And the more cerebral, less traditional salesperson for our business ended up emerging as the winner. Um, so I think of sales, like one thing I'd give advice is like, it's always, it's, you should A-B test it, much like you would if you were launching a website. Love that. Okay. Something I'd never thought about. <laughs> I'll definitely yeah. look into it because... Yeah, I, I've been trying to find like the one and, you know, it hasn't worked out for me either. So I like the idea of bringing on more than one and seeing how that would look like. So thank you. Well, then also like, you know, understanding the customer and what they need and then kind of back solving from your customer to the type of person. Because I think like a lot of leaders, you think, oh, sales is a bucket. It's a, a multivariant equation, if you will. Yeah, no, that's very true. That's very true. Thanks for the tip. Um Going back to the, 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 the main topic, I wanted to ask what, what methods um, have you seen yourself or with like people in your network being very effective on a daily basis for founders mindset? Yeah, um, I do think, I mean, there's a lot of different ideas on this. I mean, I think probably the greatest foundational aspect is self-awareness. Um, and for me, that took a lot of work on, I've done a bunch of 
personality testing, like using the Enneagram, if you're familiar with that thing to understand, it's a very simple test, uh, basically helps you understand your dominant personality and, and how you show up in your great moments and how you show up in lower moments. I think any kind of mental toughness and, and success around this starts with self-awareness. What causes me to go to stress? How do I show up to people when I'm at my best and at my worst? And then breathing when I start to see, I just had a moment of this a little bit ago. I started to go to my lower levels on a different topic at my firm. And it was like, okay, there I go, right? And so then I think it's that, that ability to pop back up. What tactics do I use? Whether it be breathing, whether it be getting in nature, exercising and all sorts of, everyone's different. But I think the most consistent thing is do you understand yourself? Do you know yourself when you're out of getting out of whack, if you will? And then how do you address that um, seems to be the springboard for a lot of other healthy development. Can I ask you what, what are those things that trigger you <laughs> towards like realizing, oh shit, I got to like, I got to reassess. I got to step back here for a sec. Well, like when we couldn't get the Zoom set up on the, <laughs> for those of you know, when we were getting this set up, but you know, what I've found is, um, so the, on the Enneagram, I'm a, I'm a type eight, which means I'm a, it's called the challenger. And I encourage anyone to check out the Enneagram. There's a bunch of free resources on the web. So just Google it. But for me, um, when I feel threatened, when I feel, um, I feel like challenged, it brings out a very primitive side to me that can lead to, to anger or aggression. Um, and early on, when I was younger, that was more common uh, to be very revealing. And so what I've really tried to do is notice when breathing picks up, heart rate picks up or something. And then the monkey voice, which is about the book, starts yelling in my head and saying a bunch of stuff, you know, about me and about my lack of attributes. And then it's like, okay, got to take a break, got to recognize what this is. And just again, being mindful of where it is. Mm -hmm. um, that's how, what I trigger, but everyone's different. And I think knowing what your trigger points are, and how you show up, where I may go to aggression. Some people go to withdrawal. Some people go to sloth. Some people, you know, procrastinate. It's all these things. And I think it's, again, it gets back to self-awareness. Super. No, thanks for sharing that. Um, a lot of people know um, the coach or the mentor, Tony Robbins. And he famously said, success is 80% psychology and 80% action. Sorry. Yeah. 80% psychology, 20% action. Uh, how will you place the balance between those two? Um, you know, I, that sounds about right. I mean, I think that there is a uh, notion that I, that I first used to have, which was, you know, hard work. Listen, I think hard work is wildly underrated. I really do. I, I think there is something about just getting the stuff done that needs to get done and having a willingness and a tenacity around hard work that is wildly underrated. I wouldn't say it's the success factor. I think we're, and I read about in, in Mr. Monkey Me, it's like, but just hard work, you're gonna burn out or you're gonna push the rock up the wrong hill. So I think where that comment is so interesting is, do you know what you're trying to achieve? Do you know what you're good at? I mean, the other thing is, is entrepreneurship, it's a team game. So where is Mike uniquely qualified to help or where do I need to get others to, to lead that way? And I think that's more the self-awareness because you know, just doing it on your own, that's a pretty lonely journey and, and usually doesn't end well. No, that's very true. Um, there was uh, another 
VC who we had on our show, Bruce Croxon, who's on Dragon's Den, he said the exact same thing. It's like he focuses strongly on his team uh, in order to pick up all of his weaknesses. Because yeah. uh, he, like, he's self-aware, he said, and he knows exactly what he's good at, but he knows exactly what he's really bad at. Uh, yeah. So having that team to support is very, very true. Um, next question I have is around, you know, the whole hustle mindset. So what's your perspective on like, you know, so people who go hard 12 hours a day or take time off, they re- and then recharge and then go slower, like finding that kind of like the right balance. Like, you know, sometimes there is that moment where you got to push hard and fire on all cylinders. And then you do that for two, three days. And then, you know, say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, this is how I feel sometimes. I'm like, fuck, you know, I want this week to be over. And then I'm like, just like half there mentally, you know, emotionally. (laughs) So like, uh, like that balance, you know, sometimes you have those, you have those goes, you go at it hard. And then like, you know, being able to balance it out. Um, Is there anything that you, you do there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, you said it very well sometimes. And I think this is when I talk about hard work being underrated sometimes yeah it's a hundred hour week and it's not fun and don't call it fun you know love your job yeah i love my job most of the time so sometimes you just gotta go uh make the donuts as they say you just gotta you gotta do it right but but i think you you raise such a great point the risk of just doing it is the burnout lack of presence you know at some point you're better served as a leader or not for to go home and do nothing. And whatever your escapism is, hopefully it's not destructive, but go binge on Netflix for a couple hours. Because I think the risk is if you, and I made this mistake, you stay in the office and you keep going. Eh, you're not there, you're not effective, you're not motivational. And so you're actually doing more good than, more harm than good. And I think that to your, you're really self-aware about that. It's like sometimes just go home, you know, take your, take your uh, time off and then come back as the, as a better version. I think it's great advice. What, what do you do? I, I, I confess, I go and I disappear. <laughs> I go and I watch Netflix for like a couple hours. I go for a swim or, you know, what's, what's your, what's your getaway? How do you overcome? Yeah, I think, and I joke, I, I wish I would have done this as an entrepreneur, but my day, the way my day starts is so, has such an impact. So if I get up and do what I did today and meditate for 10 to 15 minutes, I get a great workout in before my kids get up and all that stuff. I'm on a different trajectory. The days I don't do that, it tends to, you know, bounce along. Um, But yeah, I'm guilty of, in my best sense, I go read and my worst sense, I sit and watch Ted Lasso, you know, which, but that's okay. And I think the other thing I've learned over time is it's okay, Mike, to go watch Ted Lasso for a couple hours. Um, earlier version of me would say, well, wait a minute, am I reading? You know, why am I not doing something productive? We're all human. Give yourself a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every once in a while, a few beers would, would also creep in and uh, still does. But I think just giving yourself a break and recognizing your human fragility is probably more important than, than I and most people recognize as well. Oh, that's so true. I'm actually watching Ted Lasso right now as well, and I love it. 
<laughs> like <laughs> crushing through these episodes. <laughs> it's going to be funny for the, I was curious about the Europeans, uh, what they think of it, because as Americans, you know, we watch Ted Lasso and, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. I always wonder if Europeans would be like, this is horrible. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's at the end of the day, it's like, it's a very relatable story, I think, you know, uh, yeah. that is applicable to any culture. So it's, yeah. uh, no, it's a great show. I'm, I'm happy. I didn't know this, but it actually picked up initially as like a skit, apparently. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. On Saturday Night Live or somewhere. And then they made into a full series, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah um, a couple more questions for you, Mike. Uh, what, I mean, we talked about a lot of, a lot of things, lots of great advice already you've shared, but what should founders start doing tomorrow to get better at their mental game? Like immediate impacts. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, like if I was a founder and I'd say right now, if you haven't taken some, some form of, of personality test, like go take the Enneagram. Like one thing, go take the Enneagram test. It'll take you 20 minutes on the web. You'll get a bunch of feedback on, on your upper limits and lower limits. If I had one thing, go do that. Uh, second thing I'd say, go work out. Third thing, get a dog, you know? I don't know. The dog's pretty good thing to, to go do as well. Uh, nothing better than coming home at the end of the day and seeing, a, in my case, a lab that wags her tail and smiles at me. <laughs> you know, I mean, there is something about comfort that I also think is is uh, sorely lacking. It's true. Awesome. Uh, last question. This is kind of like if you have anything to add, but is there anything I haven't asked you yet in this interview? Maybe a final message to the audience that you want to share. Um, well, two, if you don't mind. Um, first of all, the book is Mr. Monkey Me. All the proceeds go to charity. So I'm not trying to make a nickel off this book. Um, every dollar from the book goes to a scholarship uh, my wife and I set up for diverse and underrepresented students interested in entrepreneurship. So if you do buy the book, it's available on Amazon. Um, it uh, Know that it's going to support a good cause. Uh, but second thing, I would say anyone who's listening who's thinking about entrepreneurship, it is a battle. There's lots of ups and downs, but my humble opinion, it's the greatest job in the world. The world needs entrepreneurs now more than ever. I believe that all of the major issues that the world is facing, I would rather bet a hundred times on entrepreneurs than I would on governments or not-for-profits. And so I think when we look at the issues that are facing the world, and there's a lot of them, we need more entrepreneurs. We need more diversity in entrepreneurship. Um, all forms of diversity. And then we need people that stay healthy throughout the journey. So that's, uh, that's my, my pound the table note. No, that's awesome. It's a great way to end it. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. And thank you to all of our dear listeners for constantly tuning in, supporting the show and following us on LinkedIn. We don't take it for granted and we really appreciate it. Mike, thank you so much. Great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. <laughs>